I actually had a little girl. I think she's, she must be 13 or 14 now. I, that's not that small, but still pretty small. And mm-hmm. she was, she was asking me, she was like, you know, why don't you have a hunting Instagram page? And I was like, oh, cause like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, like, yeah. I, I just don't. And, you know, she was like, well, I think I'm going to start one. And I was like, I'm going to fully encourage you to do that. If you're doing it for yourself, mm-hmm. if you're doing it for somebody else, if you're doing it for the likes or anything like that, then maybe, maybe reconsider it a little bit. Hey everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the GSEO podcast. Well, hunting is the number one conservation tool. Today, I'm super excited to have Maddie Damoski on here. One of the coolest things about Maddie is how humble she is, but make no mistake, her list of accomplishments and the amount of mountain game that she has taken at such a young age is amazing. And I can't wait to get into some of her stories over the next hour. So Maddie, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good, you know, busy at work, but getting excited. I'm headed to the ranch to chase whitetails with my dad this afternoon. So, I mean, I won't get a hunt this afternoon, but tomorrow morning. So pretty excited to have a break out at the ranch. Cool, cool. Um, So how far of a drive uh, to Kansas is that for you guys? It's only about three hours, so it's not bad. Our ranch is right on the Colorado-Kansas border, and so it's about three hours on a good day. Um, Luckily, the roads have cleared up pretty good since the beginning of this week. They got some good snow, so hopefully the hunting will be good. Fingers crossed. Right on. Is that um, a rifle or archery? So that's rifle. Um, we have hunt your own land tags so we can hunt all three seasons. Well, technically four seasons. You can hunt early archery, muzzleloader, rifle, and then late archery. And so if I don't get a buck on rifle season, I'll probably go back um, right around Christmas time and chase one with my bow. Yeah. Um, are they rutting really hard right now or what? Or are they just kind of post rut or what's going on over there? Do you know? I don't really know. It's weird. So my, we were out there, uh, we had some Eastern Plains, Colorado tags uh, a couple weeks ago and they were starting to rut pretty good there and starting to rut a little bit in Kansas. And surprisingly, my dad said it's been pretty slow. So he's out there and his brother came down from Wisconsin. So they've been trying to get his brother, brother a buck and haven't got, haven't connected the dots yet. So we're kind of post rut right now, but he said it's just been weirdly slow, just not a lot of action until real late in the evenings. Uh-huh. Um, which I mean is pretty typical for out there, but it seems a little later this year. So hopefully they had a, you know, they had snow at the beginning of this week and there's the potential of another cold snap uh, Sunday, Monday ish. So I'm hopeful, you know, hunting has become less i've hunted less you know with the new job and stuff which everybody always says like once you become a big kid you got to hunt less and i'm like well that's yes <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny yeah we'll talk about a little bit about your job you know towards the end of the podcast and you know that's a pretty cool thing but uh yeah since you're you know you you you're gonna go hunting with your dad that kind of leads me into um the first question that i had for you you know you've been you know super blessed to be able to you know take a uh, so many animals from all over the world, you know, but how special is it getting to do all, you know, all those hunts with your dad? You know, it's funny because like a, a lot of people ask me like a similar question. And I think the biggest driver in me loving to hunt is my dad and the relationship that 
we've been able to like grow through that. You know, I spend more time with my dad and I always joke that like, he's my best friend. And he always says, I'm not your best friend. I'm your dad. <laughs> um, but parents say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's so nice to be able to have those experiences, especially because he's so busy with work. And, you know, as I went through school and everything, I was always so busy. And so those times on the mountains are when we actually get to, you know, sit down and catch up on life or, talk about hunting or talk about, you know, here's our next goal in hunting. Here's, you know, oh, I talked to so-and-so about his trip. And so it's really just such a great time that we get together. And, you know, I've been hunting with my dad since I was 18 months old. Uh I mean, my first hunt, I was in a backpack on his back. Um, And obviously, I don't remember, I was less than two years old, but he said he remembers after he shot my little feet kicking his butt. And he said, that's one of those memories he'll remember forever, you know, and Mm. growing up then I was, I always wanted to go goose hunting with him and I wanted to get out with the dogs and go and get a goose. Like I just thought (laughs) that was the coolest thing. You're the bird dog. Um, Yeah, which was funny because, you know, I weighed like 30 pounds and could barely carry a goose, but I was like, I am bound and determined. And we had this big black lab and he would always try and grab it from me. And it was, it was so funny, but. That's um, cool. And so, you know, since then, like we've been able to travel the world together and I mean, he's truly my best friend. Like I've spent more time in a tent with that guy stuck in rainstorms on airplanes and airports, you know, I... I genuinely wouldn't be where I am in my life as far as my career, as far as hunting, um, really anything without him and my mom, you know, it's, I'm so blessed in that sense. And I'm so blessed that I have such a great relationship with him. You know, I have quite a few friends who don't have great relationships with their dads and I'm like, Oh yeah, he's my best friend. And they're like, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Casual. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And that, you know, what a cool thing for your dad too, because you know, I have a daughter too and like you, 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 the girls are always like daddy's diamond, right? So you always hope that they're always going to love you and not push you away as they, as you guys kind of get older, you know? So I think that for him, that's probably super special as well. Oh yeah. And then it's great too. You know, my sister works with my dad and so they see each other every day at work and I go hunting with him. So my sister and I have like different relationships with our dad, but Uh both have like great relationships with our dad, which I think is like you said, it's pretty rare, but it's, it's such a wonderful thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you you guys spending that much time in a tent together. I mean, you guys really get to, to talk about life, like you said, and, and, you know, go analyze basically everything because of you know, all the hours and hours and hours of downtime you have just to sit there and talk. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys go over every mistake you had in life and everything, you know, that it was good. And I'm sure the conversations are, are pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then, you know, he always, now that I'm a little bit older, I get the like fun stories from when he was young, Uh you know, of, oh, yeah, like tell some football story from back in the day. Or here's when I learned not to do exactly what you just said you're going to do. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, okay, that's, that's good to know, you know, so it's, it's nice that we have that relationship to where we can be so open with each other in that you know, it's, it's cool too, that he's raised me in a way that now I'm more comfortable going out on my own and doing that kind of stuff because I had that mentor in the space, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And that kind of leads me into a, you know, another question that I have, you know, so what, what encouragement or like advice could you give to parents that, you know, want to take their kids into the field like your dad did with you? You know, I think the biggest piece of advice that I have is, don't force it. 
right? I've, I've seen people who like their kid is really interested one day and then the next day they're not, but the parent thinks they need to force them to go the next time around. And I think that that can create a really negative experience around hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that that's a huge thing, but then also like, it doesn't have to be the most extreme over the top hunt. You know, I vividly remember my first hunt where I had the gun in my hands and it was a turkey hunt. And I love those pictures because it was, it didn't have to be this big over the top thing, right, you know, it, right. was, it was something as simple as a turkey hunt, but I had that experience with my dad and, you know, the friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a big thing that sometimes people think like, Oh, okay. For their first kill, it needs to be a kudu in Africa. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Like I would have loved to have my first animal be a kudu in Africa. Right. But sometimes it's just the experience and taking away some of that pressure. You know, I think that there's a lot of pressure on kids by their parents that, okay, we have to do this or we have to do that. And I think that that can be a little daunting. Um, and another big thing is like teach your kids about guns. I know it sounds so silly to say that, Mm -hmm. but like my biggest advice, like I remember growing up, we had BB guns and we shot every rabbit, every bird. I mean, everything. And we Mm. thought it was just so great. But my dad was so adamant about, you know, proper gun safety and Mm -hmm. cleaning and storage. And he, he continued that when we moved to shotguns and then continued that again when we moved to rifles and it was such a big thing that I think it reduced the fear of guns. Right. You know, I um, I have a close friend who he asked me a similar question the other day, but his daughter is terrified of guns. Mm. And I was like, well, what kind of gun are you trying to get her to shoot? And he said some shotgun. And I was like, well, maybe start with a BB gun because yeah. a BB gun doesn't kick. It's not too loud. It's it's but they're learning. OK, don't point your gun at another person or a dog or whatever. And they get to familiarized with it so that they're less fearful of it you know and then when it comes to like really big trips i think the biggest thing is trying to put them in contact so you know as a male you can help your son with different gear suggestions and that kind of stuff but if you have a daughter like it might be helpful to find you know a woman hunter that you trust that can help them out because that was something i didn't really have growing up was a female hunter that I could call and say, I'm going on my first doll sheep hunt. What boots do you recommend? Or what pants do you recommend? Or how do you take care of your hair? I know that sounds so dorky, but like things that you don't really, a dad might not necessarily know. And so being able to provide that I think is also so, so important. Yeah. That's, that's super good advice, Maddie. Um, yeah, that's stuff that as a dad, you know, I have, I've had short hair for 40 years. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to worry about my hair, but you know, girls typically don't have short hair. So yeah. That's, yeah uh, I, mean, I remember going on my first doll sheep hunt. I was 14 years old. I didn't have a doll sheep tag in my pocket, but I was going with my dad. And I remember looking at the gear list and it was all based off of like men's stuff. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out how to, first of all, translate like a, Sitka Timberline coat into like something I could buy for a woman mm-hmm. was was in and of itself. But then also, you know, like stuff like your hair. Because I was like, oh, is it silly for me to pack a hairbrush on um, 
a backpack hunt. Mm-hmm. And like now I have to. Otherwise, like I literally look like I have dreadlocks at the end of a trip if I don't brush my hair every day. <laughs> Just all mad it up. <laughs> oh yeah. Well you know how it is. Oh, you get for sure. some rain and some wind, some dirt, some mm-hmm. twigs, and all of a sudden you're like trying to act like Mother Earth out there. You're like, <laughs> okay, maybe not the best. <laughs> <laughs> so are you cutting the handle off of your hairbrush? <laughs> I actually, oh, it's so funny. I remember I was on an airplane and they gave you one of those like little tiny hairbrushes that like folds together and like half of it's a comb and that turns into the handle and the other half's like a hairbrush. Uh-huh. Um, and it weighs like just a couple of ounces. And I've since started using that as like my backpacking hairbrush. And <laughs> it's funny because if you look at it, I don't remember. It says like Turkish Airlines or something on the side <laughs> of it. That's awesome. Little did they know that that thing that they give to everybody was going to, you know, travel around the world with me. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be your backpack hairbrush. Oh, that's classic. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, then I'll cut off the handle of my toothbrush to equal out for the fact that I have, like, a regular hairbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Shave those out ounces somewhere else. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to prioritize. <laughs> oh, that's great, Maddie. That's that's really That's really cool. So, um, that's all good stuff. Is there anything else that you would throw in there or is that pretty much, you know, the, all the advice you have for something like that? I guess the last big one, and I noticed this ah, with a lot of young people, I'm going to generalize it as people, not necessarily kids, mm-hmm. is that there, I think that as a society, we've gotten very much into this, like, I have to be the biggest and the best on social media. Uh And I think that sometimes with parents, you can help encourage your kid not to compare themselves to whoever they see on social media. Um, You know, it's, it's always so tough, right? Because like, obviously you want to share your adventures, but like you also don't, you want to be doing it for the right reasons. And uh, I actually had a little girl, I think she's, she must be 13 or 14 now. I, that's not that small, but still pretty small. And mm-hmm. she was she was asking me, she was like, you know, why don't you have a hunting Instagram page? And I was like, oh, because like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Like, yeah. I, I just don't. And, you know, she was like, well, I think I'm going to start one. And I was like, I'm going to fully encourage you to do that if you're doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for somebody else, if you're doing it for the likes or anything like that, then maybe maybe reconsider it a little bit. And I think that that's something that like we can really instill in like young people is let's hunt to hunt because you want to be out there, you want to go hunting. Not because you want to get the likes on Instagram or you know, the comments that say how cool you are. Like you should just know that in your heart and soul that like you're doing something that's really rad, especially at 10, 12, 15 years old. Like you're getting outside and you're spending that time with your family. So like, let's do it for that. For sure. Are you registered to come to our convention yet? Spots are filling up fast. So make sure and go to slamquest.org and get that done. We'll be holding it once again at the Westgate hotel and casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, January 19th through the 21st, 2023. Come and enjoy the greatest awards program and talk with outfitters and friends from around the world. We've got some really cool next level things we're unveiling at the convention this year that you won't want to miss. So we hope to see you there. No, that's that's great, great advice. And that's one thing I, I I love about your social media is it's not over the top and you're not pushing hard like 
but the people that know what you've done know who you are and you know know what you've accomplished and i that i really i really think that's awesome advice maddie very well said well well, thanks yeah you know that's one thing with my i mean i only have an instagram i deleted my facebook back in like 2017 um one of the best decisions (laughs) i've ever made um but that's one thing with my instagram is i'm like this is just this is how i live my life like here's the highlights of my life and here's some of the low points in my life and it's funny, I'll get people messaging me and being like, I followed you to see more hunting content, like not pictures of your dogs. And I'm <laughs> like, well, in fact, I see my dog every day and I get to go hunting, you know, yeah. a couple times a year. So I'm going to post about my life. I'm not going to. And the other thing is, is like, there's a lot of stuff that I've hunted that don't go on the Instagram because oh, I'm like, oh. for sure. <laughs> For sure, I, I I I see that, and I love how people are always like, uh, "Oh, well, I followed you because I want your page to be like this." It's like, uh, "This is my page. I can pretty much do whatever I want to with it." Yeah, and I, I think you see that so often in like so many different respects. Like, "Oh, I expected this," and it's like, "Okay, well, thank you for thank you for your expectations, but that's that's not me." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. For sure. Well, that that's outstanding advice. Uh, that is just great stuff, Maddie. And that I'm glad I asked you that question because you answered it extremely well. So we're going to dive into a little bit of your hunting stuff now. Um, I want to hear a little bit. I mean, I've seen the the picture on the cover of the magazine of the Markhor. And so I want to hear, you know, a little bit about your trip to Tajikistan. So tell us a little bit about that trip and those hunts, You were, uh, the animals you were able to take while you were there. Yeah, for sure. So we, um, the hunt originally started as a Marco Polo hunt mm-hmm. and we had purchased the two conservation permits. And so that was, you know, the goal of the trip. And then with COVID, um, some hunt, some additional tags had opened up just with people who were, you know, having a hard time getting into the country or anything like that. And so at that point, we'd also purchased a Bukharan Uriel tag and a Matsoni Argali tag. And then a lot of people don't know this and people think it's so funny, but I didn't know that I was hunting a Markhor until I was on the plane to Tajikistan. Oh, wow. And my dad and I were just kind of talking about logistics. So at the time I was in law school and so I wasn't super involved in logistics at that point only Mm. because I had, you know, at that point I just finished my winter finals and it had already been such a whirlwind. And so him and I were talking about logistics and he's like, okay, well, we're going to start in the Uriel area because it's the lowest and, um, you know, they're rutting, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, great. And then he's like, and then we'll move to the Markor area. And I was like, I would remembered him saying that they thought they had one tag. So I was like, that's awesome. He's going to get a Markor. Uh Um, and then we're going to go to the Marco Polo area. And I was like explaining how I'm like so excited to chase Marco Polo because that's been my dream for so, so long. And he was like, well, I'm surprised you're not more excited about the Markor. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see one and see you get one. And he's like, well, no, you have a tag. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I probably looked like a buffoon. I like start crying. And he was like, yeah, you got to stop that. Like, I don't know why you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have lost you- my breath on that one. <laughs> And I mean, you've met my dad. He's oh, yeah. that's just his personality. He's been that way with Liz and I since we were kids. Like, he's like, I don't need you guys to cry. Just, just <laughs> be excited, but don't cry. That's awesome. Um, 
And so when we went over there, we started in the Uriel area and it was tough. It was really tough. The Uriel were quite a bit further from base camp than we had expected, but uh-huh. we were both able to get um, our Uriel. You know, my dad's is top five, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we actually celebrated his birthday while we were over there. His birthday's New Year's Eve and they'd set up a big Christmas tree and a big celebration. And so I, I will say those are some of my favorite pictures is like, us bundled up in like a whole nine yards of clothing sitting under this Christmas tree on this deck in Tajikistan with these like obnoxious Christmas lights um, (laughs) celebrating my dad's birthday. So that was really cool. Uh, And then we went out to the Markor area um, a couple days after that, after we were both successful and uh, we pull up to this drainage and they were like, okay, we're going to ride horses. And I'm like, I'm not riding a horse down the river because, first of all, these are like tiny horses. Like, mm-hmm. they're not very big. But it's also just like river rock the whole way. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll just walk. Like, I was like, how far is it? They're like, oh, it's only a couple miles. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll just walk. Like, if if we could just put my gun on the horse, like, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember walking down that drainage and as you like get deeper and deeper down the valley, like the mountains just get steeper and steeper. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, what in the hell did I just sign myself up for? <laughs> like, yeah, I bet they're super and, rugged. Oh, so rugged. And like, I was like, okay. And I was like, where are we going to camp? And anyways, we got to camp and they were really excited because the scouts had come in and they had found a really nice Billy and, um, my dad ended up, we ended up going after it. My dad got that Billy and he was absolutely beautiful. Uh, he has the longest mane I've ever seen on a markhor, And it is honestly, his hide is what's the most impressive thing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really cool. And then, you know, my dad ended up staying in camp. Um, he had gotten a little injured while we were hunting. And so the next day we went up and uh, the scouts had left a little earlier than us. And, you know, the one comes down the side of the mountain. They're like, oh, we've, we've got a really big one. Like he's, if we get to the top, he'll be close enough. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like this is the second day. Like, and I'm already going to like potentially get a shot at a markor. So we get all the way to the top and my goodness, this thing is like 800 yards away. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's the second day. I don't feel comfortable taking that shot. And so we ended up just kind of looking around, go back down, do the same thing the next day, go back down. And then, you know, the next day we're like, okay, let's try a different area. Um, but we're going to ride the horses up halfway and then we'll hike from there. And I was like, okay, like that sounds good. Like the snow is hip deep on me. Um, Jeez. I'm about, I'm about five, seven for reference. So the horses were able to get through the snow pretty good. And we got up there and, you know, we're looking around, looking around and it's honestly taking my breath away to like see these mountains and seeing these markhor uh-huh. and the little tiny baby markhor just like spotted all over the side of the mountains. You're just like, this is, this is so cool, you yeah. know? And yeah. at that point I'm just like in awe of just everything. And we go down onto this one ledge and I will say I'm mildly afraid of heights. And so where we're sitting is like, on a flat part, but it's like a cliff, mm-hmm. right? Like if you go like two feet away, like you're going off a cliff and we see this markhor, and like the guides get really, really excited and all this stuff. And I look at him through the spotting scope and I just instantly knew like, that's my markhor. 
and then we range it and it's 714 yards and I'm oh like, oof, <laughs> okay, like... I'm like, but we're in the snow. And so I'm like, okay, if I lay in the snow, like it's basically going to become like the most perfect bench because it's just going to melt around my body and form around my body to create like this perfect bench. And, you know, I'm going back and forth with the guide and he's like, well, yeah, he's big, but like you're not going to be able to hit him. And I'm like, okay, like I just need to know if it's the biggest one we've seen. If it's a shooter, then like I'm going to shoot him. And he's like, yeah, if you hit him. And he just keeps saying if, if, if. Oh, wow. and I'm, like, I'm like, okay, dude. I've now been in the mountains with you for 10 days and I'm tired of you saying if like getting mildly annoyed. I'm one of those people like if you dare me to do something or tell me I can't, I'm going to do it uh-huh. type of person. Uh-huh. And so I lay down and I turn around and I say, okay, are you ready? And he kind of scoffs and says, yes. And I'm like, okay. And there's one guy on the spotting scope looking at the Markor and one of the other game scouts is looking the other direction for other Markor, you know, cause they're assuming I'm not going to, I'm going to miss. You're just going to miss. And I, you know, go through in my head, my dad and I's routine of, you know, breathe, check, make sure you're level, all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember pulling the trigger and because I was so steady, there was like hardly any recoil. And so I was able to watch through the scope and he just falls over. <laughs> And I remember they jump up and they're screaming. They come and tackle me in the snow. And I just drop my head to my backpack and just start crying. Because this has been something that I've like dreamed of since I was like really small. And ever since I started sheep hunting, you know, you hear Markor like the pinnacle of sheep hunting. And I just worked my butt off for however many days trying to get this all to happen. And it was just such a surreal feeling. And um, unfortunately he slid and landed on top of a waterfall and oh. because of safety concerns, we backed off for the night and the next morning they went up there with ropes and crampons and the whole nine yards. And, um, I remember the head guide was like, okay, Maddie, we're going to head back to the village and we'll just wait in the village. And I was like, okay, we've got a wall tent with a fire stove, tea and food. Like we're not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys want to go back to town, like that's fine. And I remember we get a walkie talkie page that's like, we're on our way. And so they were able to recover him. And I remember just sitting there and it was freezing outside, just sitting on the ground with this markhor, just crying and crying. Cause I was like, this is so like, this is so amazing, you know? And I remember the guide saying to me like, hunters don't cry. And I was like, well, this hunter cries. And the second I stop crying is the second I stop hunting. And he was like, okay, okay. I understand. Um, but such an incredible experience, you know, and I bet that was a sleepless night, huh? Oh my gosh. I don't think I slept a wink that night because I mean, the good thing with it was like, we knew he was down and like, it was an ethical shot and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, then you start being concerned about, okay, what if the wolves find him? What if, uh, if they can't get it, finds him? What if they can't get to him? You know? Yeah. Because when he slid, we weren't expecting him to slide onto the waterfall. And, you know, he's basically on this frozen waterfall. And you're like, okay, well, what if they can't climb up around it? And, I mean, that's one thing about those guys over there is they're absolute animals in the mountains. Like, Mm -hmm. they just absolutely are incredible humans. I mean, watching some of the places they would go to look for Markor or, you know, to just get a different vantage point and it just absolutely incredible humans, you know? Uh, and then we, after that, we went back to the village and then 
uh, spent the night in the village, kind of had a little celebration in the village and then drove to the Marco Polo area. And uh, I will say that I thought Marco hunting was for the, not for the faint of heart. My goodness, something about Marco Polo hunting in January, which most people don't do. Most people go in November, like uh-huh. normal human beings, <laughs> not January. That was the coldest, most extreme situation I think I've put myself in to date. Really? I mean, to be honest, I'll probably put myself in something crazier at some point. Oh, yeah, you'll, um, you'll, you will. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we were staying at, we started at 14,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And which the, camp were you in? Sorry, Maddie, to interrupt you, but which camp were you in? Um, we were in one of Yuri Matson's camps. Oh, what was the name of it? You'll have to give me a second and I'll probably remember it. Okay. Sometimes I'm terrible with names. Yeah. If not, um, no big deal. Yeah. So, but we were in one, we were in Yuri's newer camp. Um, oh gosh, it's going to drive me crazy. But yeah, you know, it was where we were staying was 14,210 ish feet, mm-hmm. um, which is high. Yeah. You know, I've, I've spent some time at that elevation. I climbed 14ers in Colorado for fun because I have a screw loose, but. <laughs> You combine that and then, you know, the highest temperature we saw was negative 25 degrees. Wow. Even during the day, huh? Yep. So that was the highest. So one morning when we woke up, the coldest I saw was negative 56. (laughs) The hottest I saw was, you know, negative 25. And it's funny to say that hot is negative 25. But, you know, you were even relieved when it hit negative 25 because that meant, you know, you could take your buff like down from your chin a little bit to where you could like breathe normal air which Mm -hmm. is so extreme because it's not it's freezing cold high altitude air but you know we were able to we found a nice ram there and it was one of those situations when we saw him it was seven and then when we got to the other side of the mountain where they were at there was 400 oh my goodness um and i remember where he, I, I remember vividly my guide going back and forth with the local and trying to decide which one was the biggest and then trying to explain it to me. I'm like, okay. And so we're using, you know, okay, do you see this black rock that kind of looks like Texas? Okay, <laughs> so go to the right of that one. Okay, and then there's a ram that's laying away from us, but slightly his head to the left. And you're like, okay, yeah. Okay, so he's the one that's seven over from that one. And you, but that's what you have to do when there's 400 sheep on the side of the yeah. mountain. Yeah, super easy and, to shoot the wrong one. Oh my gosh, yeah. And then, you know, you have language barrier yep. issues and um, all of that fun stuff. So we, I was able to connect with that ram. At, it was like about a 500-yard shot. And I remember walking up to him and people see the pictures and they're like, it looks cold. I was like, yeah, it was like negative 30 degrees outside. <laughs> like, it wasn't warm. Um <laughs> But still, such a surreal experience, and um, I was able to get a Matsoni argali, which is um, it's a newer subspecies of argali. But they have, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry. They have like the weirdest shape horns. Mm-hmm. Like they basically look like they look like big horn horns, mm-hmm. not like argali horns, which is just super unique. But I was the first person, it's the first woman to get one of those, which was pretty pretty exciting yeah you have a few of those that we're going to talk <laughs> about here soon too but that what a what an awesome uh what an awesome trip huh how many days were you guys over there for 
we were over there for about three weeks. Wow. So between hunting and traveling, we were there for about three weeks, which was, you know, which was perfect. I mean, my dad and I do that quite a bit where we'll go somewhere for three weeks, a month, you know, just because, I mean, if you're over there, you might as well. Oh, a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. Why, why take a trip back when you're just going to have to go back and you might as well just stay and get it done. Right. Oh yeah. I'm trying to remember. We, uh. We went to Mongolia. We were there for a total of 60 days between the two trips. And my dad and I were talking. We were like, why didn't we go and try and get a marl stag while we were there? Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, if we ever want to get one of those stags, we have to go back just for that stag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a long ways to go, too. Yeah. For sure. Well, that that's that's really good stuff. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what kind of gun do you shoot, Maddie, in the caliber? So I shoot a 28 Nosler by Red Rock Precision out of Utah, Mm -hmm. and I have a Huskama scope on there. Um, I've been shooting that gun for, we figured it out the other day, about 10 years. Um, I actually had it, sent it in this year and had it totally like cleaned up, whole nine yards, got the stock re-dipped and... um, but I absolutely love that gun. I love those guys. They're, they've been so wonderful to work with. Uh, but yeah, it's, and it's a really great caliber. You know, my dad shoots it, switches between a 28 and a 30 Nosler mm-hmm. yeah, by that, the same company. That's, uh, that's my caliber of choice too. And I just did that podcast with Rex and that's what he shoots. So that's what I was saying. It's a super popular, um, I think the biggest knock. And I mean, you just sent yours in. You've been shooting it for 10 years. Yep. Like everybody always says that they're barrel burners, but I mean. And you know, I've noticed that. So I don't know what it is about mine. My dad has had to replace the barrel on his 30 Nosler, not his 28. Mm-hmm. And then our his the guy who runs our excavating company, his business partner, um, he just had to replace his and he's only had his for a couple years, his really? barrel. And so I don't know if. You know, just because I had him look at mine because I was concerned after Joe burned through his. I was like, okay, Joe's only had his for, you know, maybe five years. I've had mine for close to 10 and, you know, shot quite a few more things than Joe has. Yeah. When they had it in there, they didn't show any concerns. They said probably if I kept on the path I'm going, they said in the next year or two it'd be necessary. But, you know, they thought I could at least get through this season and probably next season. So cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so um, that's awesome. I love Rex, I, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you listen to that podcast? I have it. It's on my queue to listen to on you'll, my. Uh, you'll love it. On my drive today, I actually met him on my first international hunt, which was a black bear hunt in Alberta. Oh wow! Yeah, so I was like thirteen years old. But. <laughs> um, on a on the plane, or was he in the same camp? He was in the same camp. Huh. Surprisingly, at that point, he hadn't shot a black bear yet. And so he was like, I need to get a black bear. And I was like, I'm so surprised you don't have one. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, I was, still, I mean, that was, I was so new into everything. Now, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I'm surprised he didn't have one. Yeah. Back then, I'm like, oh, nobody has black bears. Like, yeah. <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, this is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I could totally get that. Like, what? You like black bear? Really? Oh yeah. You know, in hindsight, you look back at what some of these people were saying, like, oh yeah, that's the first black bear I got. And like 13 year old Maddie was like, 
like that, that was like the biggest thing I'd ever, you know, hunted mm-hmm. besides like a deer. And then in hindsight, now I'm like, I've talked to Rex who's hunted some of the, like Everything. the most extreme places in the world. Mm-hmm. And back in what I would, that would have been like 2010, 2012, somewhere in there mm-hmm. had never shot a black bear. Unbelievable. <laughs> But I mean, I guess when you're traveling the world, something as silly as a black bear. Yeah. No, black bears are really cool to hunt. I'm not saying they're silly. No. Um, I wish I'd have known that before I had did the podcast with him because I would have asked him about that. <laughs> and he didn't. Men- he didn't mention that black bear was one of the last ones on his list. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like now, anytime I see him, he's like, "You remember when we met in in Alberta?" I'm like, "Yes, Rex. I've now I've talked to you hundreds of times since." And <laughs> It's just so funny. He's like, yeah, you know, I saw that you went hunting over in uh, Tajikistan. I did that back in. And then he'll tell me some date. And I'm like, I just you just want to sit there and soak in everything that he talks about, you uh, know? For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's a good one. You'll, you'll enjoy it for sure. Um, so since you mentioned Mongolia, um, let's talk a little bit about that trip. And um, you, you took the three sheep over there, right? Yep. So I have the three sheep and then the two Ibex from over there. Cool. Um, we went on two separate trips, about 30 days each, um, and kind of split up the species. So on the first trip, I got the high Altai Argali and then the Altai Ibex. And then on the second trip, I was fortunate to get a Hangai and a Gobi Argali and then a Gobi Ibex. Man, amazing. Which, uh, which one of those... Uh, trips was your favorite one the altai or the the lower range you know i loved the altai i think you know, I, I mean those sheep are just incredible and you see pictures of them and you're like oh like that looks like a pretty big body sheep and then you go over there and it's like a hereford bull with sheep horns and you're like what in the heck is this freak mm-hmm. you know and then you also see these huge groups of them which is just so cool especially because so many of them have different shaped horns you know they're not all the standard you know loopy or heavy dropping it's so it's really cool to see that uh and you know i just i love mongolia i people always ask me what my favorite place that i've hunted is and mongolia is always up there for me just because i loved the people and the culture and the landscape it was just everything about it is so cool. And I always respect a country that has such unique cultural traditions that mm-hmm. are so foreign to what we do in the United States. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I, I haven't been over there yet, but I, it's definitely on the list. And that, that just makes me want to go even more now <laughs> that you say that. Because, I mean, it's, you know, you, I kind of crave that adventure and that culture stuff now just as, as much as I do the hunting, you know. So Yeah, and I think that that's one thing about Mongolia is, like, you're really going to get submerged in the culture. You know, there's there's places that you go hunt that you're going to, you know, stay in a beautiful five-star hotel and you'll drive out to the hunting area and blah, blah, blah. And that's wonderful. But, like, in Mongolia, you're staying in a sheep herder's yurt amongst his sheep or his goats and, um, you know, they're feeding you traditional foods. But then you're also seeing in the process of processing the animal or hunting the animal of like their different traditions. You know, I remember that we stood on one mountain and we threw shots of this vodka off the side of the mountain to like bless the hunt. And, um, 
you know, the different celebrations that they had after you harvested your animal. And it was just, it's so unique and so wonderful. Um, Mm. I also love to tell everybody that when we stayed in the one camp, we, there's a bunch of cashmere goats there. Mm -hmm. And my dad would go outside and call my mom on the sat phone. And there was this one little black goat that hated my dad. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. Every time my dad was outside, the little goat would run up and try and ram him in the leg. (laughs) And as you know, my dad is like six foot five. And so it's just like hitting his calf. But then I'd go outside and this little goat would come and like rub his head on me and like just want to be pet. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. (laughs) Because you just hear my dad being like, no, no, get away. What are you doing? He was trying to establish a dominance over your dad, huh? Yeah. He was like, I'm the head goat here. My dad's like, okay, I need you to go away. <laughs> That's funny. So that was that was probably your, your favorite country to hunt in, huh? Yeah. You know, Mongolia is definitely up there. Obviously, Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. I mean, Markhor is just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I also really love hunting stone sheep whether that's British Columbia or the Yukon, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's been the sheep that I've hunted the hardest for and been the least successful for. And it's been the most humbling of experiences. And yet I still find myself like wanting to go back for more. I have a hunt booked for this fall to go back. And I'm like, why do you keep torturing yourself? I'm like, because it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. It's only torture for 10 to 14 days though, Maddie, you know that. Yeah, I mean, this year was a 18-day backpack trip, and it was uh, it was it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, way cool. So, um, since we're still in Asia, um, talking about that, uh, talk a little bit about the it's a Yakutia, right? Yakutia sheep from Russia. Yep. Yep. So I know that you were the first. I think you were the first woman to do that too, right? So I was the first woman to get a Chikotka. Oh, Chikotka. Yep. Um, so I hunted the Yakutia and was unsuccessful, unfortunately, um, weather in Russia. If anybody, if you ever talk to anybody that wants to go to Russia or you're going to go to Russia, just tell them to be prepared to sit in a tent for substantial periods of time because it does not stop raining there. Um, or the bugs are trying to eat you alive. Right. Was that August or September? Um, I was there in August both times. So I've heard it gets a little bit better. I haven't hunted the Kamchatka. Um, I've heard that the bugs are horrible on Kamchatka in um, August. But, yeah, so the first time we went to uh, chase snow sheep, we went up and hunted Koryak and Chukotka snow sheep. And it, w- it just worked out well because they basically kind of line up with each other. Um, you can go to the southern part first, hunt those, and then move up to the northern part. Uh-huh to hunt the Chikotka and you know it's always funny to me when people are like oh yeah did you know you're the first person like first woman to do this and I always think like I'm like ah you're joking Uh um but that one was so interesting and I love the like I love Russia except for the fact that like it rains all the time Uh um but that one was really cool because I was there with my dad and I'm trying to think who was with us in the second camp. It must have been Rick Murphy, who I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gary Young, who I also absolutely adore. So first of all, it was just a super hilarious camp of people. Cool. Um, but then, you know, the hunting was really cool. Lots of like really rolling mountains. Like they're not real jagged. Uh, lots of 
um, Leica and all of that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. that hunt was cool. Cause you know, we had found this Ram and we were like, okay, like we got to get on him. And, but because it's rolling, it's like harder to kind of hide, you know, you don't have those jagged faces that yeah. really protect you from being seen. Uh, but that one, it was just cool because, you know, I think that was the first trip that I'd ever been on that I was like the first woman to go and hunt the animal, like yeah. the species, which was, which was really neat. Cause I was like, Oh dang, like had to definitely make sure my head didn't get too big after that one. Though. Yeah. Well, and I love the fact that you didn't even know, like some people I know that would probably be like, Oh, I want to go be the first, but you'd had no idea. That's, that's pretty cool. And then it just ends up, that's where you're at. Right. Yeah, and it was funny, like, I think it was Anston, we were hunting with Anston Ostaby, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, because he's one of the primary outfitters over there, he's like, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I haven't had a woman, and then he's, like, thinking, and he's like, well, I mean, this is one of the first years we've had it, and I can't think of any other women who've been over there, and um, and it was so funny, you know, I had a conversation with Rennie Snyder after that, and mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, she's like, I was trying to be the first woman, but, you know, you're she had surgery. She's like, so your young butt beat me over there. And, <laughs> you know, that was such a humbling conversation. Cause you know, she's hunted every sheep yes. in, on the planet and yes. to hunt something before her, I was like, Oh my gosh, I think that's really when it hit me was when Rennie Snyder was like, you beat me. I was like, Oh my God, what? <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. That's awesome. Very cool stuff right there. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely a hunt to do on. Is that a chopper in hunt? Yep. So they take those big ass, sorry, big oh, old <laughs> helicopters and they fly you in there. And I'm not kidding you when they're like, they pack everything. Like you could probably fit like a Subaru on that thing. Like they're that big of a chopper and they have, you know, wall tents and cha- like chairs and an individual pup, pup tent for everybody. And so it's just huge. And the biggest thing with the um, Chikoka area is because it is so far North it's better to be as lightweight as possible so that they can get up there with like the gas and all those fun requirements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, they chopper you to the top of the mountain and they don't land you on the river bottom and you hike up. Yep. So they, they land you generally on some sort of riverbed okay. and then you hike up into there. Um, that was the same in both the Koryak and the Chikotka area. So mm-hmm. they'd hunted the Koryak area before. And so they, I mean, they had a pretty good idea of where they wanted to be. Uh-huh. Um, but with the Chikoka area, you know, the one guide was up there being like, okay, I think, you know, I think we should land here because you can hike here and you can hike here. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, but, super cool. yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend it. I mean, I'll def- I'll go back at some point, you know, to get the Yakutia and the Kamchatka. Uh-huh. Obviously, when things get yep. a little better in russia you know I, I also need to chase the tur i've never chased a tur before oh yeah so gonna, that's on the list you're definitely gonna like that, that you're used to steep mountains those are those are extremely steep <laughs> i i've heard that you know my dad when my dad went i think i was in a wedding and so i couldn't go and i was like oh, i'm kicking myself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dang it why'd you have to get married not you, uh, but your friend or whoever oh, yeah, it was. was. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was one of those things too, where she's like been one of my best friends since middle school. And so I couldn't just be like, okay, well I'm not going to be in your wedding cause I'm going hunting. Yeah. She'd be like, only Maddie, only Maddie would go hunting on my wedding. <laughs> oh yeah. She even told me, she was like, you can leave the day after my wedding. And I was like, well, oh, that's funny. 
That's sweet. <laughs> oh, that's funny, funny. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder here. To get signed up for our memberships, whether you're signing up as a new member or just renewing, it is vital in helping our conservation efforts for all species. We have a couple different options for you to choose from. The first is our most popular. It's $75 per year, which you get four issues of the Slam Quest magazine, which in my opinion is the best hunting mag out there. It also comes with many other benefits that you can see on our website at slamquest.org. The second option is our eMag, which is $25 per year, and you get all the same benefits with the exception of voting rights and no print magazine will be sent to you. So if you're a digital person, this one was made for you. You can learn more about how to get signed up for these memberships as well as our international and lifetime memberships at slamquest.org. Good stuff, Maddie. And so it leads me to another first that you had is the Morocco, that odd ad there. Talk a little bit about that experience that you had there being the first woman in there too. Yeah, so we did Morocco, shoot, that was this spring, um, and that was, it, it was so, so cool over there. So, you know, their odd population really struggled um, because of poaching issues, mm-hmm. uh, primarily because they have a lot of domestic um, livestock, and so uh, ranchers just kind of didn't want the odd ad, and they wanted them to, you know, stay off their ground so they could have more grazing opportunities and that kind of stuff. And, you know, they also ate the Audad. I mean, they taste fine. Right. Um, and so, you know, they saw really heavy depletion in the population. And so a couple years ago, they started kind of working on a program to, you know, build up that population so that they could start having hunting. And so the hunting could, you know, start paying for the rehabilitation and the conservation and all of that kind of stuff. And so we were at, we, um, kind of helped with that project and then we were invited over to you know the inaugural season you know they had a season back in October that was the very first hunt was in October Uh, there was two hunters and then they actually shut down the country because of the Omicron variant Um, and so then it opened up right after GSCO Mm -hmm. um, this past year it's actually funny we got home from GSCO we were home for about a day we brought home a couple of the, um, our, we brought home our guide and one of the helper guides and stuff with us. And so then we all flew from Denver to Morocco awesome. um, right after GSCO, which is so funny. But we, um, we got over there and, you know, they had spent so much time trying to work on the conservation projects with these Audad that they kind of knew where they were and that kind of stuff. And I remember going over there and you see them and these are true native Audad and, their body size and their horn size is substantially smaller than w- what we see in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones in Texas are just, they're just bigger. They've had the environment to be able to grow bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad, it was my dad, his buddy, Joe and myself. And, you know, my dad and Joe were able to get theirs, um, on the same day. And then I got mine the next day. And, you know, the cool thing with Morocco is not only, like you're hunting in like some pretty remote places, but then you go back to this like beautiful hotel that, you know, has turned down bed service and has the most delicious food I've ever had. Like I've, I've been craving Moroccan food. I've been trying to find a place around us in Colorado because they cook with these tagines and, you know, cumin and, uh, coriander and like all these like beautiful, beautiful spices. And, um, as you can tell, I love food. That's yeah. like one of my big drivers in hunting. Um, <laughs> Did they have good food? Because I'm there. 
yeah honestly like i'm like okay so we're gonna go hunt there like can you tell me about their food and they're like you don't want to know about the hunt i'm like no i do but like the food and they're like why are you so food driven i'm like that's just how i'm built like i just um you know but that was it was really cool to be able to um experience not only the hunt but then also that and then while we were over there because we had been issued special permits to get rifles into the country um we were able to chase the Barbary wild boar while we were there. And I am not a big pig person. I have no desire to shoot a pig. It's just not my vibe. Uh And I, we went out and it was one of those days where the fog kept lifting and like falling. And so like the pig, you'd see a pig and then the fog would fall. So you couldn't find him anymore. And then it just kept lifting and falling. And finally I was just like, I am so annoyed. Like I'm going to shoot one of these pigs because like I'm annoyed. (laughs) And I, we ended up when we walked up to it, they have this cool like mohawk and you know, pigs, they're still ugly as heck, but like you can appreciate them for what they are. Right. um, Given like the uniqueness of the species. Right. Um, And then, you know, mine was, I, I'm an attorney. I think I might've said that already, but Uh I was able to help, uh, with the, you know, figuring out how to get them imported in the United States. And, you know, with that, then I was able to get the first one in the United States. And that was like a really cool, you know, little, little thing that I put on my wall. I was like, look what you did. You helped get Morocco out at in the United States. And then you were like the first woman to do it too. You know? So that was, definitely a cool feather to put in my hat was yeah. you know not only opening it up for our family but for so many people because like morocco is one of those great places that you can like take your family right like for sure you can go hunting but then you can also do the markets and the touring and the spices and yeah win-win right oh absolutely yeah that's cool yeah i know there's a lot of guys just itching to go over there too i, I did a podcast with alan and he was talking about he wanted to go over there so Oh, that's awesome that you were able to do that, man. What a cool, cool hunt and a cool country to go visit, huh? Yeah, you know, and then after that, we tacked on our trip to France. And so that was cool to be able to spend some time in Morocco where it was nice and warm and then go to France where it was nice and cold. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, cool, Maddie. I appreciate you telling us those stories. So I'm going to transition a little bit here and we're going to talk just a little bit about GSEO since you know, you're, you're a pretty regular of the convention and everything and, and, and a member and you've, uh, accumulated some really great achievements, but, uh, how long have you been a member of GSEO? And the second part of that is, you know, what sets GSEO apart from the other organizations that you're a part of? Yeah. So I think I was actually looking after, um, you had asked me to be on this podcast. I've been a member of GSEO, a life member of GSEO since I want to say 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so about 10 years now, which is really cool. Um, I became a life member when I first started sheep hunting. And, you know, a big driving factor in that was the fact that GSCO really wanted to celebrate the hunt. You know, I think that there's a lot of conservation organizations that really, they celebrate, you know, conservation and all of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. one thing that GSCO does a really phenomenal job of is, celebrating the hunt you know they celebrate these wonderful animals and the time and effort that it took to get to that point you know i think that that's such a unique way to celebrate and you know it i think a lot of hunters you know you spend so much time and money getting to a place and so being able to 
join an organization that recognizes like, I know how much time you took to do that and how much money you put into doing that. And so they really want to celebrate the individual and that hunt. And I think that that's such a cool concept that you don't really see in any other hunting organizations, you know? And GSCO with that has become such like a family. It's like, you know, every time I walk into the convention, you like don't make it two steps because you run into somebody you know and you want to talk about, oh, I saw this or I saw that. And it's such a community. And I think that that's something GSCO has just thrived at is mm-hmm. like creating a community because you're going into the situation. You're like, oh, okay, like let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. And you're able to form those bonds. You know, there's so many things that like, you're not walking into a convention center where there's, you know, a hundred thousand people in there and, you know, you don't know what that guy's about. Right. It's, you're like walking into almost like a family and it doesn't matter. You know, there's still thousands of people there, but it's a thousand people who are your friends or, you know, close mm. enough to where you call them your family. Right. I like the way you put that, you know, celebrate the hunt. That's I've never, I've asked everyone that I've had on the podcast, the question and you, the way you put it was, was unique to everybody. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is like, that's what GSCO does, right? Is they celebrate the hunt. They Mm -hmm. celebrate the unique aspects of each hunt and each species. And, you know, in the stories that they tell through the magazine or through their Instagram account or through the awards programs is, this is what it took to get to where you are. Like it wasn't just, okay, yep, this, that's a big Ram. It's like, look at all the steps it took to get there. And they, they take the time to recognize, you know, they took the time to recognize that I was the youngest woman to finish a triple slam. Mm -hmm. You know, they take that time to celebrate that because they recognize how hard it was to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know? And that doesn't matter if it was sheep, goats, antelope, deer, yep. turkeys. I don't think they celebrate turkeys, but like maybe no. they do. I don't know. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but yeah, but on the U3, Super 10, all, you know, and whatever game you want to chase, it's pretty much there. And like, so. I honestly, the idea of the U3, I think is one of the coolest things that GSCO has come up with in the last few years, because like, what a better way to get youth involved Mm -hmm. and be able to celebrate those hunts that they went on, you know, because there isn't really a space where you can celebrate, you know, a 12 year old getting their first buck. Yeah. Or coyote or anything. Or coyote, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely wish there would have been something like that when I was, you know, a youth. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. You would have it. I promise. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, that was a very, very, very good answer, Maddie, and thank you um, for for answering that. Um, so we're going to kind of stick with a little, little bit of the GSEO stuff. But you, so you've been, like I've said, super blessed. You've completed three Grand Slams, and at your age, that's amazing. It blows my mind. But your first one was number seventeen fifty seven, and you were Lady Grand Slammer number fifty nine. So talk about a little bit about that journey. Um, that it took you to get that first one and maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what sheep and I'm, I got a feeling I know which one it was, but talk about what sheep was kind of the, the hardest for you to get. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so it's funny. Uh, 
I got my first Grand Slam because of a pinky promise. Mm. And so I don't know if you make pinky promises with your girls, but in <laughs> our yet. household, I, I don't recommend it. I mean, I do recommend it. In our household, a pinky promise is a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you make a pinky promise and you break it. It's basically like grounds for dismissing you from our family type of thing. Oh, man. And I remember flipping through a magazine when I was like 12 years old and there was somebody who had like four fingers up and they had just finished their grand slam. And I was like, I went up to my dad and I was like, Oh my God, dad, like I need to do this. And he's like, you have no idea what that takes. But like he pinky promised me that if I ever drew a Rocky mountain bighorn tag or a bighorn tag generally Mm -hmm. that he would help me with the other three. And he was expecting, you know, it's going to take me until I'm in my thirties, forties to draw a bighorn tag. So like no big whoop. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I, when I was 14, I drew a California bighorn tag on the John Day River in Oregon. Wow. And I remember his face. Like, first of all, we were all so excited because California, uh, Oregon doesn't do preference points. So yeah. it's super random. Um, but we're all lucky. so excited. And, you know, he ended up actually getting a cancellation hunt at Arctic Red that August. So that was our first sheep hunt, him and I. And then we went to the John Day um, in November. And that was our second sheep hunt. And he was like, okay, well, you know, I got to fulfill my pinky promise. And so, you know, the next year, um, we went to Arctic red, uh, in the, in August and that's where I got my doll sheep. And then the next summer we went and got a desert sheep in Texas. And then that following August, um, I finished my slam in British Columbia with a stone sheep. And I remember just like thinking like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And we had both very clearly been bitten by the wild sheep bug when Mm -hmm. we were at Arctic Red the first time. And, you know, that's the crazy thing is a lot of people don't realize like we just started sheep hunting in 2010. Like that was the first year that my dad or I ever went sheep hunting. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of been a whirlwind since then of, you know, traveling the world, chasing sheep. But yeah, I still remember like that day of, first of all, drawing that tag, but then I vividly remember each of those hunts. I mean, I vividly remember all of my hunts, but Mm -hmm. I think honestly, the one that was the most special to me out of that Grand Slam was um, my first sheep, which is my California Bighorn from the John Day. Um, he was a 14 year old Ram, one oh of the oldest gosh. Rams ever harvested in the unit. Um, his backbone was hanging out, you know, he was just absolute skin and bones. Um, but so perfect, you know, I wanted a big broomed Ram with lots of character and that's exactly what he was, is. And, um, it's still so special. Like some of my favorite photographs are from that hunt. You know, I, anytime I, he's now in the trophy room at my parents' house and, you know, every time I go in there, he's the first one that I go and look at just because uh-huh. I'm like, he kickstarted this like crazy ass life that I've lived. Mm-hmm. And I'm so unbelievably thankful for that. Oh, that's cool. 14 years old, unreal Ram to take. Jeez. Oh, and they think that, you know, just given his age, that he was one of the original, like they think he was part of the original lamb crop from when they started working on their translocation stuff, Hmm. which I mean, just adds to how cool he was, you know, I honestly don't think we would have seen him had another group. So we kind of spooked a small group of ewes and lambs with a couple 
of rams in there and they kind of went off the end. And we don't think that if, if we hadn't followed them down there and they hadn't gone down into where he was at, he would have stayed bedded and we would have never seen him. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know, trying to hang with the youngsters and try and kick the boys off, you know, and that's why we saw him. And I just, you know, it's exactly what I wanted out of my first sheep was like a super ancient old broomed ram. I mean, that's like my goal in all of my sheep. People right. are like, oh, you don't like the tipped pretty ones? I'm like, no, I want them to be as ugly and beat up as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So you you guys had no idea that ram was even there then, huh? They had no idea. They'd never seen him? No. So we had actually been looking for a different ram that we'd seen. My dad had done some scouting beforehand and we were headed there to try and find a different ram that we had seen, you know, a couple of days before. So we had never seen him, which was made it even more unique. Yeah, you know? way cool. Way cool. Yeah, just a happens chance on a fourteen-year-old ram. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh. Unbelievably cool. So, um, let's see here. You, I, I remember, I remember seeing this. I think it was on your Instagram, or it was. Uh, on the on the internet or something, um, you won the raffle CEO Gov tag um, at the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society, correct? Yep, back in 2019. 2019. I can't believe it's already been that long, man. What a what an amazing thing to win! And the ram you killed was just off the charts. What a cool ram! Talk a little bit about that and like just winning that tag and the hunt for that. So honestly, that was one of the most surreal moments in my life. Like I have had a lot of moments where I'm like, wow, what the heck is happening? But that was one of those moments where like you kind of like I floated out of my body and like looked down on myself and I was like, what is going on right now? Um, But so I had, um, you know, the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society puts on their annual banquet and you can purchase raffle tags which is actually some of the best odds for winning a winning or drawing a bighorn tag in the state of Colorado and mm-hmm. so um at the time my mom was on the board and she was very adamant like okay y'all need to buy your tickets and all of that and so we did and um you know they go through the draws they kind of build the tension they start with the pronghorn and then go to the mountain goat and then go to the bighorn and you know, we're all sitting there and just chatting and like, you're hoping that the person's in the room to create this like insane energy in the room. And, Uh um, they pull the ticket and John Legnard, I don't know if you know him. Uh He's uh, such a wonderful human. He looks right at our table and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like my dad or my mom won. There's going to be a riot. Like (laughs) I don't know what we do. (laughs) And he looks me dead in the eyes and he was like, Maddie Demosky. And I'm not kidding you. I stand up, like I holler, I stand up, I run up and just hug my dad. That was like my first instant reaction was like, hug my dad. Mm -hmm. And so I had like won this tag and it was just like such an incredible thing. Cause I was like, you know, with that tag, it's basically a governor's tag. So you can hunt any open unit for any open season. Yeah. And... Um, it was funny because before that my dad had purchased a, um, landowner tag. So Colorado does this really cool thing called ranching for wildlife. And it's an attempt to open up some of the big ranches in Colorado to sheep hunting. Mm -hmm. And so generally it's the first year the ranch is open, it's a draw tag. And then the next five to seven years depends. It's a landowner tag and the landowner can decide to sell it or not. 
And my dad had purchased one of these landowner tags and had had the guy agree that he couldn't, wouldn't let the governor or the raffle tag hunt this property. <laughs> and then I win it and we're like, oh, dang, okay. So my dad calls him and he's like, okay, my daughter has won this tag and she's fallen in love with this giant ram. Like, what are the odds that we can modify the contract? Mm-hmm. You know, we'll pay for it, but like, let's... And the guy was like, nope. And I was like, okay, cool. I get it. So then my dad is talking to him again about when he's going to be out there. And he's like, yeah, well, when's Madeline coming? And my dad's like, well, you know, she'll, she'll probably come and hunt with me, but she'll probably focus on her own tag, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I thought she was going to come shoot that big 14-year-old ram. My dad's like, well, you said no last time. He's like, oh, no, I was saying no that I don't want you to pay me. Like, he's uh-huh. like, I'm more than like modify the contract and you know so I was in law school at the time and so I ended up flying down to Colorado and um we went out there and uh he was kind of a big old loner ram he just kind of hung out by himself he was starting to get a little weak and old and just would kind of hang out by himself and so you know we found all of his buddies we found you know the two that he'd been hanging out with the big group that he'd hung out with in the over the summer and we finally found him and we had, my dad had dropped me and two of my buddies off and he was going to um, go around to the other canyon to take a look in the other canyon. And when we started walking up there, we see him and the ram is between my dad and I. And so we have to wait until my dad moves. My dad can't see him. Uh. He's like under the cliff. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to shoot a 28 nozzler towards my own father. <laughs> yeah, like kidding. that's insane. <laughs> So then my dad's just like staring at us and we're just staring below him and he's like, what the heck? So he finally moves and we take a shot and he's like, he's like, what the heck? Like freaked out. Like, what are you guys doing? And, um, we get over there and my dad realizes like what's going on. And he's like, well, you should have just shot. And I'm like, I'm not going to shoot it towards my own father. Like, (laughs) no, like even though the Rams, you know, 20 yards below the skyline, like not going to happen. Yeah. Um, But that was such a cool ram because, like, I had won the tag. He was, like, 14 years old, you know, super, super broomed off on the one side. Mm -hmm. Had both sides matched. He'd be about 200. Man. um, Which is cool. I mean, he's about 192 not broomed off. Yeah. Um, But definitely just, like, such a cool thing. And, like, you know, growing up in Colorado and, you know, us supporting Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I... haven't really made it super public, but I just became a board member for them um, this year. And cool. so just like everything all together is just like, was just really, really neat um, and a great way to celebrate. And, you know, to be able to take an old, old Ram like that is, is something everybody dreams of, yeah. you know. 100%, especially in your home state, like that's legit. That's why I, I think it's cool that I actually know somebody that won the governor's tag in the raffle. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's so funny because there was a couple of us there at that banquet. We have a picture of all of us together and it's such a, it's so cool. And, you know, we were there this year and the guy who won was in the room and just the energy, like they were sitting at the table right behind my parents and, you know, the guy runs up and hugs my dad. Like he doesn't know my dad, but he's just like, I'm going to hug your dad. And I'm like, okay. And so (laughs) to be able to experience that and like, to be able to watch it from an outsider's point of view, knowing what that guy is feeling mm-hmm. is just a whole other experience. Yeah, for sure. Yep. It's a, 
Well, it's a one-of-a-kind experience, I'm sure, and that's a super cool. And what a Ram, man! That I remember the pictures are just awesome of that thing. So, um, so going back to your Grand Slam, what's one piece of advice that you could give to like a, a young person that's that's chasing their their first Grand Slam? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, obviously, the clear advice would be to like you can't get drawn if your name's not in the hat. Uh So like put in for every state that has draws. I mean, the thing is, is like, it's a, I mean, you, it's a couple hundred dollars generally to do that across the States. And Uh some States have really great draw odds. Uh Um, you know, the same with raffles and that kind of stuff. Like if, if it's, if money is the big issue is like, those are the best ways to be able to extend your money as far as you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess, and I, it sounds probably so cliche, but like you got to train to be there. You know, I think so many people think like, Oh, you know, a sheep hunts just like an elk hunt or a sheep hunts just like, it's just a hunt. You know, I don't need to train or I don't need to do X or Y or Z. And I'm like, I, if I've learned anything after going on a sheep hunt unexperienced, you got to train and uh-huh. it's going to make it better for you and for the guide. And you're going to be the most likely to be successful. And, you know, then you're not, you're able to, you know, not, you're not wasting your money then. You know, I think sometimes you can go into it not training, but like you're not as likely to be successful. That wasn't as articulated as I wanted it to be, but that is what it is. Yeah, no, I uh, get it for sure. No, but that, I mean, that's cool. I think that those would be probably my two biggest pieces of advice. And also, like, you don't need to get all like up in arms about needing to have the like latest and greatest piece of hunting gear. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a pair of Patagonia pants that you've worn and you like, and they're comfortable and they've worked well for you on hiking or whatever, Mm -hmm. then just wear that. I mean, for the longest time I wore women's mountaineering apparel rather than hunting gear because that was, that was what fit me and what I had available. And I didn't want to get caught up in, okay, I'm going to buy this pair of pants just because they're camouflage. It was like, I'm going to buy these because they work well. Mm-hmm. I think people sometimes get a little, I need to have, you know, the $700 pair of pants. And I'm like, okay, well, can you afford that? Like, yeah. is that really what's, is that, I mean, that's not going to make or break your hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rain gear, invest in rain gear. Yeah. <laughs> get some good rain gear for sure. <laughs> uh, that's good advice, Maddie. And I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to answer that one so i just got a couple more here then i'll, I'll let you go i got one more gseo one you're the youngest person um for the ovis and the capper super 20 um what are those achievements um meant to you oh wow that is a heavy question it is um, right yeah you know it was one of those things where when I first started hunting, I never expected to go to the places that I've been and be able to do what I've done. Um, and so to be able to say that, you know, and I like to reiterate like youngest person, not just youngest woman, Mm -hmm. youngest Um, person for sure. It's, it's been such a surreal feeling knowing that like 
I was able to do all of those things because it's not somebody wasn't walking up the mountain and shooting my sheep for me. It was, I was climbing up that mountain. I was going through all the different things and you know, the different adversity of being a woman hunter of, Oh, you can't shoot that far. Oh, you don't know how to shoot or, Oh, you don't know how to hike or whatever that looks like. Uh Um, so being able to do that, first of all, as a woman was just like such a surreal feeling, but also being able to reflect back on the experiences I've had, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Like I've traveled the world and been able to experience these things all because of hunting. Uh-huh. And, you know, I might not have gone to a remote valley in Tajikistan to chase Markor, or I might not have gone to the top of a mountain in Mongolia because I wasn't chasing, you know, high altis. And, and so it's honestly, like, I still, I have the, my one plaque, I'll get my other plaque this spring for Mm. my Capra, Uh because I just finished in January, but, or February. Um, But it's just kind of a surreal thing to think back on of like, you know, not long ago, I was just like this little girl who just had a big dream. And, you know, because of the blessings I've been given, and the time and effort I've put into it, you know, I'm able to be up there and I think that I'm not saying that it gives me any more validity or voice than anybody else but it's also it's been great because I have because I was up on stage you know having young women come up to me and be like hey I'm debating between this hunt or this hunt or I need help with this and being able to become more of that mentor that I always wish I had has been such a big driving factor in this um that's awesome you know, I think every little girl needs a mentor um, when they're getting into hunting, whether it's deer hunting or sheep hunting. Um, but yeah, I mean, those two those two awards were, were I, I, I've cried a lot thinking about them. And I'm not afraid to admit that I've cried. I mean, shit, if you look on my Instagram, there's a photo of me crying, literally walking up to get my award. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid to say that, you know. It's, well, if you it's think about all the hunters out there, though, Maddie, like, that it's amazing that and and the speed of what you did i think i i got my capper slam in 2016 and i you were getting an award too i can't remember if it was your over slam or your capper slam but that was only you were at 12 and now you know you've reached what you are in you know however many years later it's it's amazing it's honestly it really is super cool and it's cool like i i you know i think the next goal will probably be 30 but like I'm super happy with where I'm at and enjoying hunting the species that I enjoy hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's the biggest thing is like all of the hunts have been like, not every hunt is like this over the top extreme hunt, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, hunting chamois in France, like you go back to a beautiful B and B that serves you an egg, however you want it served in the morning, you know, Mm -hmm. like not every hunt is this over the top extreme thing, but each one has something so special and so unique. And, you know, that award is just celebrating all the time and money and effort that went into that, you know? Yeah, that's cool. And yeah, like I said, an an amazing accomplishment to have both of those is, it's just unreal. And I'm, I'm super stoked that, that you were the one to do it. That's awesome. So, um, out of, out of each one of those, which one do you think was the most difficult to achieve the, the Ovis or the Capra? The Capra. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I always joke. I always joke about this, but like, my goodness, like people who have a thing for goats, like you are a whole other level. <laughs> you know, I have. You know, there's been a couple times in my sheep hunting career that I've like questioned why I hunt, but I would say more times, at least probably every hunt that I've ever hunted a goat, I'm like, why? why 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 are you doing this to me again you know uh-huh. um like this year when i finished my capra 20 um it was a chamois in france and my goodness because we went later than we expected the snow was crazy deep and i'm not coordinated whatsoever and so i'm like trying to climb this big ass mountain and snowshoes and i'm like climbing and you know the guide's like just huffing away like he's just killing it he's also like six foot two and i'm like okay like i'm coming i promise and i'm in that moment i was like this is the last goat i'm ever gonna hunt like this sucks like i hate this and uh now hindsight like i'm definitely gonna hunt more goats oh yeah i'm just in the moment (laughs) um but i would say capra's or capra's harder just because i feel like goats live in worse environments i think ovis is harder as far as money goes Mm -hmm. but i think capra as far as like physically doing it is tougher for sure yeah i I would definitely agree with you because i'm a a goat freak and (laughs) i've been the same as you like what am i doing here like why do i chase these things around and i mean that's your markor is just a perfect example you know what i mean of just the ruggedness yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? Is like you you reflect back on certain hunts and you're like, wow, that was that was tough. Or you show somebody a picture after the fact and they're like, what were you thinking? And you're like, huh, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, that's awesome. Um, and I look forward to seeing you getting that uh, that award this year at the convention. So, uh, two more questions and we'll wrap up here, Maddie. Um, so, we've talked a little bit about you're an attorney. Um, so tell us who you're an attorney for and how you're liking that position and, and, um, how you see that going in the future. Yeah. So this, uh, fall I was hired as a litigation associate for Safari Club International and, I will be the first to admit that litigation was not the thing that I thought I would do. Um, I didn't want to be a court attorney and this position kind of came into my purview early summer and, you know, went through the application process and I, it's safe to say like, I love what I'm doing. You know, every day is different and being able to use my education and my degree and my, um, you know, my, my background knowledge in hunting to be able to fight for hunters' rights and, you know, fight against the anti-hunters that, you know, get stronger and stronger every year, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. has been such a cool thing for me, you know, being able to every day go to work and be like, okay, I'm hunt, I'm helping the next hunter, you know, then if I help with this, then it could potentially open the door for, you know, future the future little girl that wants to go hunting or future little boy that wants to go hunting or, you know, the 30 year old man who saved up to go to Africa for, you know, 10 years or whatever. Um, and so being able to use all of that education and be able to work with my two wonderful, wonderful, um, bosses, the litigation council for SCI, um, Regina and Jeremy has been such a blessing. You know, they both have 10 years of experience in, hunting litigation and so to learn from them has been 
so wonderful, you know, and I'm excited to keep continuing to learn from them and use my knowledge to help, you know, like next week I fly up to Alaska for work and going to talk with the Alaska Professional Hunters Association about some of the stuff that they're going through in Alaska and how we might be able to help them. You know, it's, it's such a unique way to open so many doors and meet so many people um, in so many different walks of life, you know, biologists to CEOs to outfitters to, you know, other attorneys. It's, it's honestly been such a blessing. Wow. That's really cool. Did you ever, when you were little envision yourself that this was what you'd be doing as your career? No, honestly, it's funny. I didn't really think about going to law school or becoming a lawyer until I was in my undergrad program in college. Um, I took a water class. Was it a water class? Water lambs class. And I was like, Oh, I could be an attorney. Mm. And so it really wasn't until I was in my first or second year of college that I thought like, Oh, maybe I could be an attorney. Um, when I was little, I wanted to be like every other little girl. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I couldn't be the one to like hurt animals, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like having to put a dog put to down. sleep. I'd be really sad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, or I, you know, I was, I always had like this great dream that I was going to, you know, do something with economics, but it was, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't really until I went to, um, university that I like started thinking about it. And then I was like, Oh wow. And then, uh, I worked for wild sheep foundation for a summer. Mm -hmm. I worked for Dallas safari club for about a year. Um, you know, kind of worked with, uh, kind of a coalition of organizations this past summer, um, including GSCO on some of the Tajikistan stuff. And it's, it's definitely a great fit for me, um, using my knowledge and then my background in hunting. Yeah, I would say so. I said it's a perfect fit. And uh, I think that background in hunting, like, because you've been there, you've known, you've had the paperwork, you know, you've tried to get things through. So, I mean, you you know, kind of, you've been on the ground actually trying to do it. So I think it's like the perfect fit for you, it sounds like. Yeah, it's funny. In one of my interviews, they uh, asked me, like, what do you think you can bring to the table that, like, somebody else might not be able to? And I was like, well, I'm a hunter. And they were like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to Africa, Asia, uh-huh. Europe, you know, New Zealand, whole nine yards hunting. And so like who better has experience to fight for hunters who have hunted in those places than somebody who's been to those places. And they were like, oh, interesting, interesting. Good point. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. That should be a prerequisite. <laughs> no that's awesome maddie very very cool and super happy for you on that and i'm sure you'll you'll do well um with sei and thank you for um fighting for all of us out there um so one last question um so what what's next for you maddie hunting wise i know you said you 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 could get to enjoy like what you love to hunt but is there is there any animals that that are on the list uh going forward yeah, I mean, right now my number one is uh, I'd like to get another stone sheep. Um, that is kind of my big goal after I was unsuccessful this fall. I'd really like to, you know, try and get one. I have a hunt booked for later this or this upcoming fall. It's still in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I my number one sheep that like I would love to go and chase is a blue sheep. Mm. I would absolutely love to go to Nepal. Um, it's been 
you know, a really big dream of mine. I've had buddies go over there. My dad went over there. And so that's like definitely a big one for me is blue sheep. Um, obviously besides stone sheep and then kind of a unique one. I would love to get a bongo. Um, I think that they're so neat. Uh, Mackenzie Sims is a good buddy of mine. And when he was over there, he kept sending me pictures of his and I was like, dude, quit rubbing it in. Like (laughs) I'm at work. Like I need you to leave me alone. Yeah. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. You know, I think that those are the big ones. And then obviously like, I love, like, I'm so excited to go out to the ranch this weekend and chase, white tails you know i've been doing that since i was 12 ish so i'm excited to get out there and you know get to spend the time out there you know setting up trail cameras and checking tree stands and doing all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is kind of one of the perks of moving back to colorado and you know i'd love to keep continuing to do that because it is still so much of like what grounds me in hunting and so much part of my like heart and soul in that space yeah Cool, Maddie. Well, that's that's really awesome. Um, and thank you for taking the time to do this podcast with us. Uh, I want to have you on again sometime, you know, maybe after that stone sheep or something, we can talk again about that hunt. and Or I can ha- grab you at the convention or something. We can just sit down and chat for a little while. But, uh, yeah, I really appreciate um, all of your answers and, and you just sitting down and taking the time to to hang out and talk. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And it's always so wonderful to chat with you. And I look forward to seeing you at convention. And, you know, I I think I'm kind of an open book. And so if anybody ever needs anything, I like to be able to be there and be helpful. And, you know, obviously I can't can't not take a couple hours out of my day to talk hunting. I mean. Yeah. You love it too much. <laughs> oh, love it way too much. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't be shy. People Sh- just go up and talk to her. She's, she's not going to bite you. <laughs> no, not at all. So cool, Maddie. <laughs> well, we'll catch you at the, at the convention. Okay. Sounds great. TJ will enjoy the rest of your holidays. All right. You too, Maddie. Have fun uh, at the ranch. Thanks. Bye. Hey everybody. Have you heard about our super slam drawing? If not, check this out. Since 2010, GSEO has sent more than 250 winners on free, fully guided hunts with some of the industry's best outfitters. That's more than $5 million worth of hunts. Wow. For only $100 per month or $1,200 per year, you will have the opportunity to win a hunt of a lifetime. In 2022 alone, you will have 30 chances of winning with multiple monthly drawings. You will also receive a GSEO membership and four issues of the best hunting mag in the industry. On top of that, the longer you're in the raffle, the more names you get in the hat. So keep that in mind, that's a big incentive. To join the Super Slam drawing, go to slamquest.org and sign up today. And remember, you can't win it if you're not in it.